Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Doxology Church. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Betsy. I'm a member here, and I will be reading our sermon scripture passage for tonight. So this evening, we are reading Psalm 100. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to grab one from the back of the pew in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, um, you can keep that as our gift to you. So once again, we're reading from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's word. Thanks, Betsy. Good evening, Doxology Church. Good to see you guys. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors at Portico Church, a partner church just down the road in Arlington. And it's my privilege to be your guest here this evening. Thank you so much for having me. And before I came here, I made a terrible mistake. I decided to get on the internet and look up how to practice gratitude. And I wasn't disappointed, or I was immensely disappointed. I don't know how to look at that. But let me, I came across this wonderful website called Happify.com. Yes, it's gold. It's going exactly where you think it might be. And I did this because gratitude is one of those things that is very popular right now. It's in vogue. It is taught in counseling schools, It is part of kind of this larger trend of mindfulness, and it's seen as a strategy to have a better life. And so I'm just going to read a little bit to you, and then I, I probably won't be able to read very much before I'll have to stop. But here it is. The benefits of practicing gratitude are nearly endless. People who regularly practice gratitude by taking time to notice and reflect upon the things they're thankful for experience more positive emotions feel more alive, sleep better, express more compassion and kindness, and even have a stronger immune system. And gratitude doesn't need to be reserved only for momentous occasions. Sure, you might be, you might express gratitude after receiving a promotion at work, but you can also be thankful for something as simple as a delicious piece of pie. Research by UC Davis psychologist Robert Emmons, author of Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier, shows that simply keeping a gratitude journal, regularly writing brief reflections on moments for which we're thankful, can significantly increase well-being and life satisfaction. Sounds pretty good. Yes? There's an issue, though. A huge issue. Who are you grateful towards? Who are you expressing gratitude to? Maybe it's other people, but if it's other people, that's not a bad thing. But what if nobody on that day did anything to make you feel grateful? What if you're in a situation that is legitimately terrible? Who do you thank for that? Who do you thank for the circumstances that you're in? The other issue with this is it's completely self-centered. 
unsurprisingly, in our culture, all of this focuses back on our well-being, our feelings of happiness, our quality of life. And it's feeding the beast of our egos. And so I love Psalm 100 because it completely reverses this. And it actually gives us some substance. And so in Psalm 100, we are taught how to actually be grateful, how to live a grateful life. And if we understand the psalm correctly, we know that we are living lives of gratitude for Jesus. We're living lives of gratitude for Jesus. I'm very grateful for the little um, subscript in this psalm because I think I could probably look at this for like 15 hours and have trouble identifying what it's actually about because it's so rich. There's so much in it. Trying to identify the main theme is a little tricky, but we're given this by the authors or the compilers of the Psalter. And it says, this is a psalm for giving thanks. And so there's a lot of instructions in here. There's a lot of good information, but it's all pointed towards helping us give thanks. And so we're just going to go through this and we're going to see how we are to live a life of gratitude. And then we'll talk a little bit at the end about why we're living that life of gratitude for Jesus. So it starts out with this kind of big bang. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. The noise that it's referring to is kind of a spontaneous shout of victory. So this would be like a returning victorious king, someone who had just made or completed a definitive battle in a war coming back. And all of that um, king's citizens shouting for joy because of the victory that he's won. So it's this spontaneous overflow of praise and thanks. And it's not just people that the psalm is instructing to make this noise. It is the entire earth, the entire cosmos. Think about this. All of the ecosystems and all of the physics that are holding this world together are designed to give praise and this joyful noise to the Lord. The whole purpose of the universe of the universe existing is to make this joyful noise to the Lord. And we're invited into that. We're commanded to enter into that. So it should be this spontaneous overflow of understanding who God is, what he's done, and how he has demonstrated his glory in creation. And everything speaks of that glory. Everything speaks of how amazing God is. In verse 2, you see this command to serve the Lord with gladness, and then an invitation to come into his presence with singing. And so there's a movement that this psalm has, and it starts with kind of this invitation into God's presence and this command to serve him with gladness. And so this is where um, the psalm starts to depart from 
Happify or whatever it is, because there is no idea of service or of humbling yourself as part of gratitude in our culture, because that's completely counter to the idea of exalting yourself and kind of you doing you. But if we are to live a life of gratitude, it involves serving the Lord with gladness. Serving and worship go hand in hand in this way. And so there's a couple different ways, main categories for what it looks like to serve the Lord. One of them is actually by gathering and by worshiping him. And that is our service. So it is doing what we're doing here this evening. It's worshiping the Lord. It's singing praises to him. It's praying to him. It's remembering him. It is praising him. But then the other element of service is one of submission. It's one of putting yourself under the authority of the Lord. It's obeying him. It's hearing his call on your life and following it. And this we do with gladness. That's part of how we are living a life of gratitude. And as we're doing that, we are invited into his presence. And, and so this is kind of the first concentric circle that the psalm is going to walk us through. We are just invited to the general presence of God. That presence is present everywhere. So it's kind of a universal call, just like the call in verse 1 is universal. The presence of God with you as you serve him is universal. It's not limited to one location. So wherever you go, you are in the presence of the Lord, and the disposition of being in the presence of the Lord is one of singing. It's one of joy. In verse 3, we see that knowing the Lord, that he is God, is part of what it means to live a life of gratitude or of thankfulness. He made us. We are his. We are his people. So not only is God our creator, but we also belong to him. This is language of a covenant. We are part of his family. That's what it means to be his people. It's not just, oh yes, he created us, and that's the only distinction. We are actually unique among all creation because we belong specifically to him, made for him, being his people. We are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Moving into the second concentric circle, his pasture. So we have the presence, and now we're in the pasture of God. So if you imagine a kingdom, the king is present kind of everywhere, and now we are into kind of like the outer realms of the kingdom. We're in the pasture, in the pasture land, and God is with us, and we are his sheep. He's tending us. I know you guys covered Psalm 23 already, and that's exactly what this line should make you think about. You as his sheep. The Lord is your shepherd. And so it evokes all of this rich imagery and this rich love that we have with God as our shepherd, the care that he provides to us. I know like, it's a little bit um, fun to kind of make light of sheep, in Christian circles, you know, we talk about how sheep are kind of dumb. They're not too smart. They wander off, they eat clover, they get fat, and they, you know, need help all the time. But a shepherd sees sheep very differently. 
Sheep are treasured possessions of the shepherd. And they are the way that he gathers value. And so he loves sheep. We are the sheep of the king's pasture. So now the psalm is starting to put a little bit of weight on our lives of gratitude. Because that's a hard, that's a hard truth to accept for a lot of us. We don't think of ourselves as being treasures of God. We don't think of ourselves as having immense worth and value to God. We might think that God kind of begrudgingly accepts us, but it's only, you know, because Jesus did that thing. So God is like, okay, well, I'll let you in, but just don't get too close. And don't let me look at you for too long because I might reject you. That's how we naturally think of God. But when this psalm proclaims that the Lord, he is God, in his sovereignty, in his almighty rule of all of creation, he has chosen to treasure you, to make you a beloved possession, to make you one of his belongings. And he has decided to commit himself to you. And so now we're getting some of the depth of how we live a life of gratitude. As we know that the king of the universe has made us his. And he treasures us. So we enter his gates. Now we're entering into the city. It's another concentric circle. We're getting closer. We're coming closer to the proximity of the local presence of God. And we're entering his gates with thanksgiving as we're drawing near to God. So all of this movement is bringing us closer into deeper and deeper intimacy. It's producing a progressive life of praising God, of loving him, of thanking him with everything that we do. We're in his gates with thanksgiving. We are enjoying the benefits of being in the city of God. We're enjoying his provision, his protection. We're enjoying the judgments that he has executed in that land to make it one of flourishing, to make it one of safety, to make it one where evil knows no quarter. It's a peaceful land. It's a land where sheep can dwell safely and securely. And then we go into his courts with praise. And this is kind of drawing this to a climax. This is where the king is sitting enthroned in his courtroom, making his judgments, doing his will, celebrating with his people. So we are being pulled into the presence of God And now we are in his courts. The psalm has led us directly into the courts of Almighty God. Who do we find there? Who's there? If we're there, what are the credentials that let us in? What right have we to be in the courts of Almighty God? And if you think, oh, it's because I'm basically pretty good then you don't really know God. 
because you're imagining that he's a God who overlooks imperfection, a God who um, allows sin and evil to be in his presence. Because we all know on some level that we're not perfect. We all know that we can't live up to even our own standards, let alone the standards of the creator of the universe. And so the people who are here in his courts with us, they are not self-made people. There's not a single self-made person in his courts. There is no one there who has earned it or deserved it. The people who are in the courts of this king are forgiven sinners, freed slaves. It's people who have nothing and are trusting God's provision, God's love, his mercy. But we don't slink in there. We don't slink in and hope that God doesn't look too close, hide in the shadows. In this psalm, we are in his courts making a ruckus. We are praising him. What confidence do we have? How can we have enough confidence to praise God in his holy courts? There's only one reason. It's because we are there by invitation, by calling. It's because we have heard the call of his son, the call of the king, the one who has authority in that land. It says, I want you. I want you here. Come. But I'm imperfect, but I'm a sinner. I know. Come. Trust me. And we get to see the beauty of a righteous God executing righteous judgments, casting out all evil. We get to see beauty beyond comprehension in his courts. And so as we praise him, as we proclaim his worth, his glory, we give thanks to him and we bless his name. And then the culmination of all of this is that we end up in this very simple and beautiful, rich truth. For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Not some of the time, not every now and then, not because you deserve it. The Lord is good. It's who He is, He's unchanging. He is always and perfectly good in every way. And he's good to you. He is good to sinners. He is good to rebels. He's good to you. His steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love is his committed and intentional care. It's, again, covenantal language. He says, my steadfast love is part of what makes me your father and you my child. It's steadfast, unfading, unconditional love given to you. Endures forever his faithfulness to all generations. So 
I don't know if you're like me. I am kind of a grumpy person a lot of times. And so gratitude is kind of the opposite of that a little bit. And so I kind of feel guilt when I read this psalm. And I'm like, man, I should be more like that, but I'm not. And that doesn't make me super grateful or thankful. That doesn't help me that much. And so I know that that can be like a temptation when we read this. It's like, oh, well, that's not really me. Um, Dang, I'm not a very good Christian. And that might be true. um, But (laughs) here is a way to read this psalm that will help immensely. It's helped me so much. And you can actually read every psalm like this. Um, but this psalm, I think it just comes to life, and I love it. So you know who read this psalm and prayed it and communed with the Father with the psalm? Jesus. Jesus was a Jew, and this was his book. This was his prayer book. This is how he knew the Lord and how he had fellowship with him in his earthly ministry. So how do you imagine Jesus prayed this? How do you imagine Jesus answered this prayer, or God the Father answered this prayer to Jesus as Jesus was praying it to him in real life? Jesus praying for all of creation to make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the creation included, that would be inclusive of you. Jesus is praying for you to come and join this joyful noise. But here's the, here's the part that kind of gets me. Jesus is proclaiming as he's praying the psalm, the goodness of the Lord, the Lord's steadfast love, enduring forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Well, if you look at Jesus' life in the context of his life, that isn't super apparent. You can remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane facing crucifixion, facing taking on the wrath of God and asking God for a different way. He's asking God, I know, God, that we had talked about this, but this might be too much. Is there another way? And he's met with silence. So in that moment, it doesn't look like the Lord's steadfast love endures to Jesus. It doesn't look like God the Father answers that prayer. But if you look a little closer, you see that it is exactly what he does by saying, Jesus, endure the cross. Because on the other side of the cross is a treasure, is a reward, is a wonderful possession. It's you. It's your life of thanksgiving lived for him that is an expression of God's steadfast love to his son. (laughs) Is that not amazing? I am a rebel. I'm a sinner. I didn't, I have no business giving thanks to God. I have no business singing praises to him. None whatsoever. Your life is a miracle. 
Your love for Jesus is an absolute miracle. And it's an expression of God the Father's love and reward, his faithfulness to his Son. And you get such a beautiful picture of this at the end of history when all of us are presented. And what are we doing? (laughs) We're doing the psalm. We are making a joyful noise. We're singing to our bridegroom. We're singing our love for Christ. And so right now in this present moment, view your life, view your Christian life, view your prayer life as a treasured gift from God to Christ. That puts things in a completely different perspective. Guess what it does? It puts you in the exact position that you're created for. It takes you out of being a self-seeking, self-serving, happiness, craving, bottomless pit. And it puts you into one beautiful picture in a grand mosaic that God is presenting to the one who is most worthy to receive all of our thanks, all of our praise. And that's beautiful. Your Christian life, your desires changing, your pursuit of God, your pursuit to love your neighbor is all part of that picture and is treasured by Jesus. And that's how you live a life of thanks. And you're living it not so that you get something out of it. But guess what? You get something out of it. You get a deeper and growing intimacy with God. You get fulfillment. You get satisfaction. You do, but that is not the point. The point is this much bigger, fuller, more glorious picture of Jesus receiving you as reward from a faithful God whose steadfast love endures forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. And God, you have included us as a means of expressing your faithfulness and your goodness and your love for your holy and magnificent Son. And so, Lord, I pray that you would relieve us from all of the ways that we thwart this design, all of the ways that we get in the way of it with our self-consciousness, with our selfishness, and that you would give us this picture and help us live out of the joy that we find there. Lord, I ask that we would truly believe that you love us so much, that you so value us, that you see us as a fitting reward for the life and death and resurrection of your Son. God, we thank you so much that it is by him that we are allowed into your presence, into your courts. And God, even for the rest of this evening, this time here today, I ask that you would help us to reflect this beautiful image, that we would sing freely out of the joy that we have in our salvation and our knowledge of Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.